and we're happy to be here. And I want to introduce you to our guest speaker, Proshka. So basically, um, as you're coming up, Proshka is a pastor in Melbourne, but he's also, she's also the associate minister director, which means she's my boss as well. And um, it was very nice of her to come and speak for us. And I'm going to let her talk a bit more about herself, but um, I would like to just have a quick word of prayer for you, if that's all right. Father God, um, we just want to once again pray for uh, Pastor Parushka that as she shares, your Holy Spirit would give her words to speak um, and give us hearts that are open to hearing you. And you say we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you for your warm welcome. It is quite special to be here today. Um, my name is Piroshka. I, I was hoping, Gina, you would say my full name. I, I never heard you say My full name is Piroshka Vranyakni Fate. And judged by my name and my accent, you can tell that I wasn't born in Australia. Uh, I was born in Hungary uh, under communism. Uh, grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And uh, my life was spiraling down. At school, we were taught against Christianity. We were really brainwashed. And nobody ever thought of ever touching anything to do with God. That's how we grew up. But you know, when things don't go well in your life, uh, you, you start to question, what is the purpose of life? And I remember standing at the funeral. I was 14, standing at the funeral of one of my friends. And, and, and a few months later, another one died. And I thought, am I next? What's after life? And, uh, and my quest began. And uh, I tried different things. I even brushed against the occult. But uh, luckily, and by God's grace, I didn't get involved. But I learned that there definitely is a supernatural force. And my quest just got, got even deeper. Until one day, there were a bunch of young people from Australia who landed in my hometown with a church pastor after communism fell, and they were preaching the gospel. And uh, I went to those meetings, and that's where I first heard about God in a positive way. That's where I first held a Bible in my hand. And that's where, as I attended day after day, week after week, I gave my life to God. Now, I knew the consequences, because it was still in... In reality, it wasn't a communist country, but in culture and mentality, it still was. And when I told my mother that I'm going to get baptized, she told me that if I get baptized, never come home again. And she didn't say it with that tone. Uh, still, God gave me strength. I got baptized, and I knew that my, my days at home were numbered. Uh, but at the same time I got baptized, I, I just wanted to do the same thing at the, as the pastor did. God put it on my heart. What's the point of living, doing stuff, you know, when you can actually lead people to Christ? And that's something it's worth for eternity. So I enrolled in, a, uh, in an Adventist Christian uh, seminary, and I got my degree. And the pastor who baptized me, who still lives here in Melbourne, he asked me, would you come out for one year and work with me? So I came out, I had a gap year, and I got married just before I left to my husband. So him and his family made it very clear that it was strictly for one year. So we came strictly for one year, 30-odd years ago. 
And, um, and the one year turned into two, two turned into four, and then the union president asked me, have you thought about becoming a church pastor here in Australia? And I got employed in Western Australia. Went over there, pastored churches, been chaplaincy, departmental leadership, church planting. I loved every aspect of it. Uh, then two of our children were born, so I decided to stay home with them. And after 10 years, returned to ministry. And two years ago, we got a call to come to Melbourne. So we are back in Melbourne. That's where our journey started from uh, Australia, in Australia. So we are like good Australians, like a boomerang. You know, you throw it away, it comes back to you. So that's my story in a nutshell. There are a lot more details. At least you know me now a little bit better. Uh, but been through a lot, seen a lot, but I know that without God, there is no purpose for my life. That's one thing I can say. So thank you for your welcome. It is an amazing building. It's a hist- heritage-listed building, and it has historical significance. And how exciting it is to open God's words after hundreds of years. You know, it is, it is just amazing how God's word keeps living So today, I will talk about how to encounter God through one of the most amazing fishing stories ever told in the Bible. Anyone into fishing? Somebody? Yeah? Freshwater or saltwater fishing? Saltwater. All right. So, yeah, this is freshwater fishing. (laughs) I would like to give credit to the people on the screen because they did influence and inspire my uh, sermon today. First of all, I would like to start with a story about a a submarine experiment. Uh, I read it in Reader's Digest ages ago, this story, when they tried a new submarine out, and it sank at one of the deepest points in the ocean. And they said, okay, it can withstand that depth, but there was a technical problem, and they couldn't actually raise the submarine up. But they said, it's all right, you got air filter going, so you're fine. And the crew on ground was working tirelessly to do everything they can to, to rescue the crew ra- uh, trapped in the submarine. But after a few days, the air cleaner started playing up, and eventually it broke down. And at that point, they knew that the days were numbered. And all the crew, around the clock, as many as it could, even internationally, they flew in people to try to sort of somehow raise this submarine. The sad story is that they couldn't. Uh, however, they were in radio contact with the captain all the way through. And the captain's last words were these. We know, you know we tried everything, and we know you did the same. And his last words, uh, in a faint voice, in vain. And when I read this story, I thought, how often do we say these words, in vain, for nothing? What's the point of doing this? And you know, when Peter, Simon Peter, we read the story in a minute, when he was fishing all night in the lake of Gennesaret, And he returned to shore, they caught absolutely nothing that day. And when Jesus asked him to take him out fishing, he said, Master, we worked 
hard all night and caught nothing. In, a word, in other words, they worked in vain. So let's see how this story turns around because I'm sure from time to time we have those days when we feel down, when we feel that what we did was for nothing, when we set a good goal and we try working tirelessly for it and as the goal evaporates we say in vain for nothing. So we're going to Look at the story in Luke chapter 5. If you have a Bible with your, you have it on your device, I would like to ask you to open it at Luke chapter 5. And while you do that, I would like to take you to the area where this one was playing out. So we are in Israel at the Sea of Galilee or at the Lake of Gennesaret. And uh, it is not a large lake. It is only 21 kilometers lengthwise at the longest point and only 13 kilometers width. So in a good day, you can easily see across uh, to the other shore. And you can see that Capernaum is right on the north shore of this lake. Now, it was a small fishing village, and these are the ruins that they excavated. And you can see that these these were very small uh, communities uh, there. And, and this is where Jesus comes after he was being rejected in Nazareth. And he enters the town, he goes to the synagogue to teach and then to heal. And after leaving the synagogue, he goes to Simon Peter's house. And that's where his mother-in-law was. And apparently she was a very sick lady at the moment. So let's pick up the story. If you just turn a page or look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 38... It says that after Jesus left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. Why do they ask Jesus to help her? He just arrived to town. Well, don't forget, he'd just been to the synagogue, to a church service, and he performed his first healing miracle there that amazed everybody. And they thought, hang on a minute, if he could heal that person, he could definitely heal Peter's mother-in-law. So we see that Jesus stood over her, commanded the fever, and it left her. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. Now this was the second miracle in Capernaum in a matter of hours. And both of them were performed right in front of Simon Peter. Of course, after this, Jesus' fame, it just spread all over Judea. Then we arrive to chapter 5. Let's see what happens, how the story unfolds. Now, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesareth, and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. So here we see Peter, James, John, and their partners finishing their work for the day. They were washing their nets at the end of, as we said, a very unproductive day because they said that that day they caught nothing. 
Nothing, absolutely nothing. But their work wasn't over yet. They still had to fix the nets, they had to clean the nets, and they had to prepare them for the next night's fishing. What do you think? How did Peter feel? He was probably bitter. He was probably desperate. Don't forget his hungry family was waiting for, for him at home. And, and to them, fish meant food. It meant clothes. In, in one word, it meant living. And there is nothing to show. Not a single fish. He was tired and he was disappointed. Then Jesus comes to him and he says, Would you please take me out on your boat? So he can continue to teach the people. See, the crowd was big. It was pressing against Jesus. And Jesus just wanted that little bit of separation from the crowd. Not, not, not too far, but far enough so he could continue to teach the crowd. Now, I don't know what went on in Peter's mind. He was probably just wanted to get home to rest, to get ready for the next night shift. And here Peter asks him to, uh, Jesus asks him to take him out on his boat. Maybe he thought, well, after all, he healed my mother-in-law, so I owe him one. Maybe he was already eardropping on Jesus' teaching. We don't know why, but Jesus gets into his boat, and they set out a little bit to the deep. Now, in 1986, there was a long period of drought around the Lake of Gennesara, the Sea of Galilee. They have drought from time to time, just like here we do. But at this time, the water level dropped even lower than ever before. And as the water level was receding in the Lake of Gennesara, they found the remains of a fishing boat like this. And when they pulled it out and pieced it together, an archaeologist looked at it, they, they identified this was a first century fishing boat. Now, I'm not saying this is the boat that Jesus stepped into, but this is the type of boats that they were used. And they were actually quite long, almost 20 meter in length and three and a half meter in width. But this is the type of boat that Peter was using to earn his living. And this is what Jesus steps into to teach the crowd. Now, when Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. And that's when Simon says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your word I will lower the nets. Let me remind you that by this time, Peter must have been completely exhausted. Jesus finished his sermon, and then he looks at him, and he doesn't even pose a question to Peter, like, Peter, would you mind if we go out to the deep to do some fishing? He actually pauses a command to him. He says, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. 
Jesus asks him to do the unthinkable. Why? Because every fisherman, even today on the Lake of Galilee, know that if you want to do fishing, if you want to catch fish, you fish at night. You have a slight chance when the light is breaking on the shady side of the board, but you never fish on a freshwater lake of Galilee in broad daylight. Never. And here is Jesus asking him to go out and start fishing. What could Peter see in Jesus' eyes? How does it come he doesn't get get angry with Jesus, that he is ready to let down the nets at the most impossible time and at the most impossible place. Why didn't he tell Jesus, excuse me, I have been doing this since I was a kid. What do you know about fishing, carpenter? Jesus was a carpenter. He was the fisherman. Jesus was the preacher. He was the laborer. And Jesus is telling him, now you go out and start fishing. How would you respond if someone in your area of expertise or let's say work comes to you who does know nothing about your job, does know nothing about what you've just been through, have no experience whatsoever and tells you what you're doing wrong? and how to do it better. So I don't know what Peter could see in Jesus' eyes. I don't know how he doesn't lose his temper hearing Jesus' command. But I know one thing. I'm sure that Peter realized that it's not me who is important in this board right now, but it is you, Jesus And it's not what I want that's important, but it is what you want that's important. It is you and your words that count, not mine. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter that I know it is good what I want. But the only thing that matters is what you want. So my first question to you today is, can we do the same as Peter did? Can we leave the shore separate? ourselves from the crowd to start out towards the deeper where there is no one else, just Jesus and you. Can we start out with the attitude because you say so? It doesn't make sense what you are asking me to do, but because you say so, I will do it. Peter lets Jesus become the captain of his boat. Just think about it. It was Peter's pride. It was his livelihood. And he lets Jesus become the captain of his boat. Now, what was the result? Let's read it. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they were about to sink. Now, I want you to rely on your imagination now, okay, your, your sight first. Remember that, that fishing vessel? That's why I showed you 20 meter long, three and a half meter wide. Can you imagine it being filled by fish to the brim when it's almost sinking? 
If I ask you to tune into your nose, can you imagine the smell of the fish? And if you, you pull the nets out, not that the nets were so heavy to pull out that it rubs into your skin, but because of the big catch, no matter what, you are not going to let it go, even if your hands are bleeding. Then can you, can you imagine what it was like touching that slimy fish that are flipping around in the boat? Just so that we understand that Peter goes from despair to excitement, to the max. Come on. This is, this is like having Christmas bonus 20 times. You know, it's, it's, what an amazing catch. Don't forget to them fish meant clothes, food, in one word, living. Now, hearing the story so far, it would be so human and so sinful to continue it this way. Simon Peter, being a very experienced fisherman, steps back for a second and assesses the miracle and says, Look, Jesus, if two men like us unite, great things can happen. Let's enter into partnership with one another, you and me. I will obey if you reward. But it is such a dangerous trap that the devil pauses for every Christian right through our walk with God. I will obey if you reward. Me and Jesus, so many people fell because of this trap, but Peter didn't. Because he realized that in, in that boat in the lake of Gennesaret, there was only Jesus important. He kept a close watch on him, what he was doing, like a shepherd keeps a close watch on the evening star. And a shepherd can't say that I and the evening star are shining. At most, it can say I'm watching how it shines. Or as the bow fits in a violinist's hand. And the bow can't say that I and the master. At most, it can say that the master used me. Or as the patient and the surgeon, after a successful surgery, the patient cannot say that I am the surgeon. At most, the patient can say that the doctor fixed me up. Peter didn't say either I and Jesus, nor did he say Jesus and me. He said something entirely different because he does say something. While the net is full and begun to break, while the boats are so full that they are about to sink, Peter realized something as if lightning would have struck him. And he did the unimaginable. You're still with me in that boat full of fish? You know what he does? He kneels down in front of Jesus. Can you imagine in the middle of all that floppy, slimy, smelly fish? He kneels down in front of him. And don't forget that it's not only his partners in the other boat that's watching him, but all the crowd are there. Because believe me, if Jesus' teaching drew a crowd, then these fishermen going out fishing in broad daylight would have drawn an even bigger crowd. What are they doing in broad daylight? But Peter doesn't care about what other people think. He kneels down and he says, 
Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partner. Go away from me. One would think, what happened? What was this sudden change in Peter's attitude? Let me tell you, because the text gives it away. It's that one word highlighted in yellow. Do you remember how Peter addressed Jesus up till here? Up till this point, he says, yes, he says, master. But at this point, he calls him Lord. And it actually shows the shift in his heart. Up till now, he respected him as the teacher, as the rabbi, which was very respectful. And, and, and he was drawn to him, but now he realizes he is the Lord. He is the Messiah. My question to you is, do you ever kneel before Jesus like that? When we realize not only the multitude of his blessings, but in the light of all these blessings, we recognize and realize the multitude of our sin, and we are broken. And we don't care what other people think, but we just want to kneel before Jesus because we know we are broken. You know, it is so easy to be distracted by blessings, and we all have them. And that's what the devil wants. See how well you are? But in the midst of those blessings, do we realize how broken we are? You know, often we say our life is like a light of a candle. It gives a little bit of warmth and a little bit of light in this, in this dark place. But once I saw an experiment when they actually turned the floodlight on behind the candlelight, and the candlelight cast its shadow on the wall, so the question is, can we see the light, the real light? And at this light, can we see the shadows of our lives that might have seemed like light before? Can we feel the same way? Do we feel the same way like Peter did? I am a sinful man. But then Jesus while that moment happens and he connects uh, with Peter, he understands where he is. It's amazing what Jesus does next. He says, then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. So when they had brought their boats on shore, they left everything and followed him. Immediately, Peter, uh, Jesus gets Peter busy. He says, you come to me. You realize who you are, where you are, but I've got plans for you. And those plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. They are to give you hope and future. Peter had to understand that all this had happened not only for him, but for others as well whom he hasn't known yet. It happened for people he will come in contact with in the future. Now, of course, Peter, being a fisherman, knew the area very well. You can see on this map that you got the lake of Gennesaret right on the top, that little blue lake. 
And the Jordan River that flows into the lake of Gennesaret on the south side, it flows out. And 120 kilometers away, it flows into the Dead Sea. Now, when you look at the lake of Gennesaret, the Jordan River flows into it. It's full of life. There is so much fish uh, and life in abundance in that lake. And this photo is taken where it actually flows out. That's the Jordan River, full of life, flowing into the not-too-distant Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea, in contrast with the Gennesaret, Lake of Gennesaret, is desolate, and it's barren. It's sure it's covered with thick salt. And one would ask, why? The same life-giving river flows into both bodies of water. Why is the difference? You see, while the life-giving fresh water not only flows in the lake of Gennesaret, but on the other side it flows out, the fresh water only flows in the Dead Sea, but not out. Because of the evaporation, its salt content is higher and higher, which impede the development of any kind of life. This is why the name is Dead Sea. Now, doesn't this apply to our spiritual life as well? If you don't feel that it is our purpose, our calling, to share the gospel, whether it's through words or sometimes through silence, whether it's through actions or inactions, if we don't feel that it is our duty to pass on what we receive from God, then we can become like the Dead Sea. You know, I love the time when we come together, when we pray, when we worship God collectively. I love my time with God every day when I pray, when I connect with him. But if it doesn't mean that I go and I share that news with other people and I go and help where help is needed, then I will become like the Dead Sea. So I'd like to ask you another question. Which sea describes best your spiritual life? And if you are leaning towards the Dead Sea, what can you do? What can you do to make sure that the life-giving fresh water is flowing out of you, not only in you? I heard a story from a vet. After he got his degree, he was posted into a small village where he, he set up his, his veterinary clinic and he was ready for action. But nobody came for days and he was quite disappointed And one day he was sitting out in front of his veterinary clinic on a bench. And as he was sitting there, he could see a dog on the other side of the road, a stray dog that was walking down. But the closer he got, he could see it was limping. And as he looked closely, he could tell as a vet that the dog's leg was broken. So he saw there was no owner around. He went to the middle of the road, whistled, and the dog came to him. And he he looked at the leg of the dog. He said, yeah, it, it needs to be treated. So he took the dog, his very first patient, into his clinic. And uh, he made sure that the leg got fixed up. And the dog stayed with him 
until it was all recovered. And he thought, well, once he's healed, he's probably just going to take off. But he didn't. And it was the two of them. Now, he wasn't alone. Until one day he arrives home and the dog is gone. And he goes around town. He looks for him. He posts posters, nothing, nothing, nothing. And that night he felt so lonely, sitting on his couch, watching TV. And his dog was gone. And at that moment, he can hear whimpering and scraping on his door. So he runs to the door. He opens it up. And yes, there is his dog. And next to it, another dog. Guess what? Its leg was broken. And this is what the vet said. I don't know how he did it, but my dog brought another one to me for treatment. Now, if I can add anything to this story, even a dog can feel something from this for the other. Do we have at least this much responsibility for the other? There's so many people around us, friends, colleagues, neighbors, family members, who don't know Jesus, who haven't accepted him uh, as their savior, and they are rushing into their eternal death. Do we have at least this much responsibility to share with them what the purpose of life is? I know if you are like me, growing up without God, you know how lost you can be. And all I want is to share it with other people so that more and more can accept his salvation. Then it finishes with this sentence. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. You know, since I'm in Australia, I have seen many cyclones. Fortunately, only on television. Um, I remember one that was called Thelma. It was in 2000, and it was heading towards uh, Broome in northwestern Australia. And I still remember as the forecast came, the people were told it's a Category 5 cyclone, the highest rating you can get. And they said, you have to leave your home. Because at that time, even nowadays, not all houses are cyclone-proof, especially for Category 5. So the people very quickly tried to grab whatever they could and pack them in, in plastic bags and then sitting on buses and leaving everything else behind, probably not seeing them ever again. People were in panic. And I remember one woman, a photo of her on a bus. As the bus was pulling out of room, she was grabbing plastic bags, which had the most important and sentimental belongings she could pack. And she was looking back with tears rolling down her face. She had a broken heart. She left in desperation among tears. And she was looking back and back again until the bus turned and headed south. Now, Peter and his friends leave their belongings behind in a different way, didn't they? The Bible doesn't mention any tears. The Bible doesn't mention any desperation, any looking back and back again. Why? Because they didn't 
look at their material goods. They didn't look at their friends, their amusements, their jobs, but they looked only at Jesus. And if you look at Jesus, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, we cannot leave behind. Now, Jesus doesn't call us the same way, but he does call us to the same service of leading others to him. Whether we're going to obey or not, it's our choice. So as you look at this story, you might think, what relevance does it have in my life? I would like you to think about it tonight, when you have a quiet time tomorrow. Where are you with your walking God? Are you more like Peter, so caught up in everyday life, trying to make a living, and, and if you have a bad day, you feel down? No pay, a call from the doctor that the results are positive. Uh, your children, something happens to your children. Maybe you are desperate. Maybe you are tired. Maybe you are like Peter, washing your nets and eardropping on the master talking. Oh, yeah, these are wise words. I should take these teachings to heart. Maybe, maybe Jesus is asking you to take him out on your board further, to to listen, to be closer to him, to give your full attention to him. Or maybe he's telling you to do the unthinkable, to go out and start fishing. It doesn't make sense what he's asking you to do. It is your choice whether you obey or you push back against his calling. Maybe you are at the point where you are basking in his blessings. You're pulling in all the fish. Everything is going beautifully in your life. You got the new house. You got the new job. And everything is so great. But can you see at those blessings where you truly are in your condition? Maybe at this moment you are broken. You are kneeling before Jesus and say, can you please just forgive me and cleanse me? Maybe you are listening to God's command. Now you go and fish for people. Maybe he's asking you to follow him, to leave things behind that meant so much to you, wherever you are in your walk with God. It's not about comparing where the people are sitting next to you, where, where the pastors, where your pastors are, where, where your leaders are, whether your neighbors are. It's not about comparing where we are on this journey. You know what the real test is really? to make the next step in your journey. So may I encourage you both to just find out where you are. Ask God what the next step is and then have the courage to step out in faith. God bless you all. Let us pray. Loving God in heaven, we are all on a journey with you. And I want to thank you for opening our eyes through the story of Peter, where, where we exactly are in our, in our walk with you. And Lord, I know that you want to take each one of us deeper within that journey. You want us to experience you in a deeper and a more personal and more intimate level than ever before. So Lord, may your spirit speak to our hearts and our minds. May we surrender where we are right now. And may we embrace fully the next step you are calling us to do. Lord, we love you, and we want to do that in your name. 
Amen.